we're in the fifth week of a series called Signs. Now, last week, we looked at um, how Jesus seemingly did the impossible of feeding almost 15,000 people with no more than a Happy Meal given to him by a, a little boy, right? Just a very small meal. In this series, we've seen time and time again, Jesus proving to his people who he was by the demonstrations that he did. And I would hope that you and I today, by reading the accounts that is found in this book, be reminded of, of G, it's Jesus showing who he is and his, and his might. He did these demonstrations to show his disciples who he truly was. So today we're going to do more of the same, and my hope that we're going to walk away understanding him a little bit more, his power a little bit better, by what we're going to discuss, because today's message is, is kind of touchy, and there's a reason why Scott asked me to um, do today's sermon, because he knows it's something that's deep in my spirit that I wrestle with. This, this has been very eye-opening for me, and I hope you understand that I've been preaching to myself the last couple of weeks more so than I think I'm going to preach to you. But today we're going to look at the sign of Jesus walking on the water found in John chapter 6. Specifically, we're going to tackle the word fear. Now, I started out with all those phobias, and, and they're, they're fun to talk about like in that context, but I wanted you to understand. That was my one shot of singing, and I didn't get it. I'm a little disappointed. Fear, and I'm not poking fun. If you have a, a true fear, I understand your pain because I have one, and I'm going to share it with you in a little while. And it's, it, it's almost phobic to a point. So today when we talk about this, I'm, I'm not trying to poke fun at anybody, but I want you to understand this is a, a personal battle that I go, go through. And people often put pastors too high on pedestals, thinking we don't go through any of this stuff. And that's hogwash. We go through it just like anybody else. We're, we're, no, we're not immune to everything that this world throws at us. So talking about the fear of emotion, I want you to understand that it can be good and it can be bad. It's good in certain situations. Like fear can be a motivator, right? You're coming down the mountain or you're going up the mountain. Somebody's coming down the trail and they yell, bear! You're motivated to move a little bit quicker, aren't you? You're, you're fearful. You know the bear's coming to get you. But fear can also be debilitating, even to the point where you do nothing at all. And I think this message is probably going to stir some things in some of you, and you're going to understand that. The entertainment industry has capitalized on fear. Um, scrolling through the, the guide on the TV, and, and there's all these horror movies and things that instill fear into people. Fear is a moneymaker to the industry. Early 2000s, they had a show called Fear Factor. Remember that? I love that show. I thought it was awesome. People lying in a box covered in worms or spiders or ants, snakes, rats, people walking on a high beam in the air or jumping off a seven-story building on no more than just a, a bed mattress at the bottom. You guys remember that? I love that. Or people eating crazy things, live crickets, live grub worms, live goldfish, scorpions, 
Just a quick side note, all those aforementioned things I actually have eaten. <laughs> you look at me different now, don't you? It got me to be thinking while I was preparing this message, the differences between being scared and being fearful. There are some subtle differences, even some big differences. To be scared, it has a visceral connotation. That's your gut response. The reason you're being frightened is because of something specific and physical. You, you jump, your heart rate goes a little bit faster, and you might even utter a bad word. Done that. For example, this week I walked up on someone's porch, and there was a column. And at the top of the column, there was a bird nest. I had no idea there was a bird in there. Didn't know there was one up there. As I stepped onto the porch, the bird decided he would take flight at that point. Scared the bejeebers out of me. My heart was pounding. This week on Friday, I'm loading the signs, the, the church signs in the back of my car. The signs are huge. I'm carrying it like this, and I set it down, and Scott's standing right there. <laughs> I apologized for what I said. But that's, that's, that's being scared when something just catches you off guard. But that's not necessarily fear. It's just something in that moment. Fear has a more of a psychological side to it. Kind of comes with that feeling of dread. It has a looming property more so than being scared. It's a, it has an elastic effect. And it's ominous and it's permanent in many cases. So I want you to think about as we talk through today's lesson about scared is more of that quick impulse. It's kind of like a microwave. Just put it in for a second and everything is good. While fear is more of that slow, feverish burn. That's more like the crock pot. To some of us, fear is the punchline to a prank or the attribute of riding a, a ride at Elitchus, which I'm going to be made to in a couple weeks. My daughter told me the Tower of Doom. But to some of us, fear has the ability to freeze you right where you are and not allow you to move for days, weeks, and even years to come. I'm going to share my fear with you. So if you'll bear with me and allow me to. As many of you know, my daughter Lilia is type 1 diabetic. She was diagnosed about six and a half years ago. And for me, from the first moments after diagnosis, fear took its place and took up residency within my heart. And if you guys know me well enough, you understand that my children and my wife are my world. That's everything for me. And when something happens to one of those parts, it, it catches me. For my daughter, it's always the fear of her health, the fear of the unknown. Will she be able to live a normal life? Will she be able to see and walk well later on in life? Even to the point of fear of death. And these are all real fears that we have to navigate through type 1 diabetes. But I never knew the power of the fear it had over me until Lilia had her first seizure. First of many seizures. You see, we were sleeping in the middle of the night, and we heard this loud crash outside of our door. We had three stairs that led up into the loft of our bedroom. And we opened up the door, and Lilia had fallen back down the stairs. She tried to come up to our bedroom. And, and went into a seizure. So she's seizing and she's convulsing. Her head is slamming into the wood floor. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We did what we needed to do medically to get the seizure to stop. And eventually the EMS arrived and took her to the hospital. But for days afterwards, I, and I'm, I'll speak for my wife as well, we didn't sleep very well. 
I think I may personally have gone about 72 hours without sleep because every single time I would close my eyes, I would be woken up by that little sound, a little sound, and I would jump to attention. I would even scream audibly. I remember that afternoon after getting home from the hospital and laying in the bed and trying to take a little quick nap and hearing a noise in the house and jumping up and screaming. Fear had hold of me. I continue to battle this to even to this day. I'm constantly checking my phone. I was going to do this real fast. I can tell you what her blood sugar numbers are right now, right at this very moment. I have my phone out in staff meetings with the volume turned up just so I can hear if the school calls me because I have a special ringtone for her. I feel like... And Scott, Scott and I have worked through a lot of this over, over all the years, but I feel like I'm always in alert mode. And if you understand what that means, it's not a comfortable place to be for any given period of time. My light switch is always turned on. It has never gone off. For you car buffs out there, I'm redlining. If you drive your car and it has that, if you're, if you're revved up into the red part, it's usually for short periods of time, short, short bursts to get you where you're going but it's not meant to stay in the red zone for any length of time because what's going to happen? You're going to blow your engine. I have lived for six and a half years in that red zone. I'm waiting for that next fearful episode to happen in our lives. Fear has got a hold of me, has had a hold of me. And, I, and one thing that I've learned is that fear knows no gender, no ethnicity, no age. It affects all of us. And I'd be willing to bet that somebody in this room or even the sound of my voice, you're hearing this and you recognize there's something that you have as well. There's a fear that could be inside of you that is overwhelming. It's somewhat suffocating. And today, I hope that the words that I speak will minister to you as they've ministered to me. I'm at the point in my life where I recognize that I hate fear. I hate the bully that it's become in my life. I, I hate the bully that it's become in your life as well. It doesn't do anything. It hurts us physically and emotionally. There's a song out there called Fear is a Liar. This is the truth. Living in, living in fear, it's extremely exhausting, and it's not productive. One of these days this week, I was prepping for sermon and doing all this stuff, and I get back out to my car, and I'm kind of pondering on some other things that I wanted to say, and I turn on the radio, and there's a Rod Rodney Atkins song. It's called Going Through Hell, and it's not a theological song by any stretch of the imagination, but it reminded me when I listened to it not to keep my eyes on the current situation. If you don't know the song, look it up later, but the, the chorus goes like this. It says, if you're going through hell, keep on going, don't slow down. If you're scared, don't show it. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. I like those words. Kind of minister to me a little bit. Today, we're going to look at John chapter 6. I want you to make a mental picture of this. I want you to, to put this as I'm reading it. Put a mental picture of the story in your head. And I'm going to read this out loud to you. So John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And it goes like this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark 
and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The key phrase here, and if you're taking notes, this is where you're going to write some of this stuff down. And I got a little note happy, so you're going to see a lot of fill-ins, so forgive me for that. But the key phrase here I want you to understand is the part where it says, it is I, don't be afraid, circle that, highlight it. It is I, don't be afraid. If you're like me, I appoint myself the mayor of Fearville. The book, this, this book right here might be of some um, comfort to you. It's called 365 Days of Fear Not. I ordered it a couple weeks ago, and I've been reading through it. It's by a gentleman named David K. I'm not going to try to say it. But it's, an, it's a pretty cool read, and it's very short. Um, there's 365 days, and it, talks, it, it goes through what the scripture is, the principle, and then a prayer. It's pretty simple. You get through it in 15, 20 seconds. But it's something that will last you for the entire day if you allow it to. So I'll leave this book up here if you're interested. I'll let you take a peek at it. But let's take a look at the the scripture that we just read as it relates to John chapter 6 and how we can apply this to our lives. We become afraid. We become scared. We become frightened in certain situations. The first one is this, when we cannot see our way. If you read in there, it was dark. And I don't know about you, but darkness has a way of bringing out fear, either physical darkness or emotional darkness. Darkness causes disorientation and disillusionment in our own lives. You know, there's a reason why haunted houses are always done at night. They don't do haunted houses during the day. They're not as scary. But you bring the element of darkness in there, it brings the element of fear to a much higher pitch. We become afraid when we feel alone. It tells us in that scripture that Jesus had not yet joined them. It feels like that we're all by ourselves at situational times, that no one else there knows what's going on. I would be willing to bet that you've probably uttered those words sometime in the last month, that no one knows what I'm going through. I find it funny that to think about the story that there were other disciples in the boat. It wasn't just one disciple but yet they may have all felt very alone in that time when they see this presence coming toward them and they have no idea who it is walking on the water. I would challenge us, and I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes, but if we, if we could get to a place in our own lives that we're willing to share that part of us that not a lot of people get to see when we kind of open it up a little bit, I bet you that we'd find out that we're not alone in our fears. We become afraid when we get out of our comfort zone. Do you understand that one? You all have that bubble, that sphere that you feel comfortable in. Call one of you guys up here to come preach a message, and that would not be your your comfort zone. It would be fearful to you. The disciples' comfort zone, I I originally wrote this, and I said it was on dry land, but they were all fishermen, so maybe, maybe not so. Some of them. 
but the comfort zone is on dry land. And it tells us in that scripture that they were miles from shore. They weren't just a couple of feet out. They weren't fishing off the bank. They were miles out there. A couple of summers ago, I was fortunate enough to go on an Alaskan fishing trip with my father-in-law and my son. Amazing time. It was so cool. Every single day, we'd get up at... It was early. I don't think God, I don't think God was up at that point. He met us on the boat. We got onto this huge boat, and we would sail about 15 to 18 miles offshore. Eight, 15 to 18 miles means you can't see the shore anymore. Now, you've got to understand that we're in a, this is the prime fishing spot. That's where the fish were. And we were in this boat that had amazing safety features. And I felt pretty safe most of the time. But there were a couple of times that the seas got rough, and it got, you'd hold onto the railing just a little bit tighter, um, and my stomach would twist and turn, a little twist and shout kind of thing. Remember that the, the disciples, they weren't on a cool boat like this. They were in a rowboat. Now, I've seen enough YouTube videos, and you have too, where people are in the rowboat, and the paddle boat, and they're out there, and they're trying to shift, and what happens, and they capsize, but they're only a few feet off the dock or out in the water. It's not that frightening, but I'd be willing to bet that if you're on the sea of Capernaum, no, in the town of Capernaum, if you're out on the sea, and the boat is rocking and doing this, you're going to have some intrepidation in there. They were, it wasn't humorous to them, they were miles away from a solid surface. We become afraid when our circumstances get tough. It tells us that the strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. The uncertainty of the situation can cause great fear in people. When our circumstances, they don't look like the photo in the pamphlet, right? It's not what you signed up for. And when it gets to that place, sometimes we can turn to fear. And then finally, we become afraid when, our, when we're struggling and we feel like a failure. I don't know about you, but I've, if you've ever tried to row a boat in the water and you've got the wind going against you, you feel like you're going nowhere. In fact, you may not be. You actually might be losing ground and you find yourself failing. Do you have a failure in your life that, that still creeps up to this day? You've tried, and you've tried, and you tried, but nothing happens. You're failing, and feel, failure creeps in. It did with me. But I'm here to say, take heart, that scripture has the remedy. Amen. It has the remedy. So what do we do when we find ourselves in situations that we are fearful? When we get to that place where there's no other place to turn and, and fear is gripping you. When I was laying in my bed six or five and a half years ago after that first seizure and just laying there and, and trying to cry out to God and all I could just think about was the fear that had over, overtaken me. This is kind of the recipe. First and foremost, what, what does Jesus do when I'm afraid? And the first thing that he does is he prays for us ahead of time. And scripture is loaded with this. Matthew 14, 23, it says that Jesus sent his people away and he went up to the mountain to pray. So he was there to pray for his people. 
Even in the midst of everything going on, he took time to pray. So Jesus is praying for us. Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Peter is, or uh, uh, Jesus is telling si- Simon, "I have prayed for you." Just reminding him, "I've already done this for you. I've already prayed for you, buddy." Romans eight thirty-four says Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us, and I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort to know that. What does Jesus do when we're afraid? The second thing I I see is that he sees our struggles and our fears. He sees it. Go back to that story that we were talking about. Jesus was watching what was going on. He was watching them strain against the wind. He knew what was happening. It didn't catch him off guard. He knew what was going on. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a God who doesn't understand what we're going through. That should bring a little bit of comfort to you. He knows what's going on because he's been there and he's done that. And again, that brings great comfort to me and my spirits. What does Jesus do when we're afraid? He comes at the moment of our desperation. This one I'm grateful for. In that same story, Jesus came at the appropriate time. He didn't come too early Because if he had come that early, they would not have seen the need for him during that tribulation time. The time that it was getting rocky. If he had come too soon, the waters would have still maybe been not so rough. And they wouldn't have necessarily needed him. Do we do that in our own lives when things are going good? Generally, we don't always cry out to God when the good things are happening, but only in the, the bad times. And if God had come too late... They would have ended up as fish bait. What does Jesus do when we're afraid? He shows me his true identity. And he tells us in scripture, do not be afraid. I missed a part back a second ago and I I thought about it, but um, in scripture, it is written, do not be afraid, fear not, 365 times. What are, what are the things that we know are 365 days of the year? 365 times, fear not, don't be afraid. Jesus prays, he seeks, sees us, he comes, and he shows. That right there is the package of comfort to me, just knowing that for me. So when I get to that situation in my own life, And now I'm at that place, I know what Jesus does for me, what's my responsibility in this? Because we do have responsibility for things in our own lives, yes? So here's what we do. When we're afraid, what do I do when I'm afraid? The first thing I want you to know is I want you to take courage because he is with you. And it tells us in Mark 6, 50. It tells us that once the disciples knew who Jesus was, they heard his voice. I'd be willing to bet you heard this. They knew who it was. Earlier today, my family got here, and I saw them at the end of the hallway, and and we have a service dog. And as soon as my service dog heard my voice, his head went like this, it whipped around, and he was pulling on his leash to get to me. I'd be willing to bet that's what the disciples did. They whooped their head around, and they're like, whoa, there he is. 
And they went to him. Well, at that point, they couldn't. You know what I'm saying. Hebrews 13.5 reminds us that it doesn't matter what we're going through, good, bad, ugly, that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going anywhere. He has no other appointment except you. What do we do when we're afraid? We need to take a step of faith. We need to take a step of faith. It says in that verse um, in Matthew 14, this is a verse where Peter's in the boat, and, and it says, he says, if, if it's you, Lord, call to me to come to you. He's kind of egging him on a little bit. If that's really you, call me out there and I'll come. And what does Jesus say? Come on down, the Bob Barker. Come on down, Peter. And Peter takes that first step out of the boat. He didn't even think about it. Just did it. Jumped in there, both feet. And sees his God right in front of him. That's amazing. But hang on. Let's move on to the next one. What do we do when we, when we are afraid? We need to stay focused. Let's move on to the next verse because it changes a little bit. Jesus, Peter just jumped out of the boat and he's like, Woohoo, I see my God. There he is. And all of a sudden, he gets distracted by the circumstances that are all around him. Those fears, he starts hearing the voices. He sees the waves lapping over his feet. He feels the mist, the spray in his face. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he puts them onto his own circumstances. And it tells us that he becomes afraid and he begins to sink. Did you guys see the movie The Shack? There's a great visual scene in there where the guy gets out of the boat and, and, the, and Jesus is asking him, don't look at the situation. Don't look at the situation. Don't get distracted. Focus on me. Keep your eyes right here. That's what God is calling us to do. We've had a lot of circumstances in our life this last week. Didn't see that one coming. At the loss of our father-in-law, my father-in-law, Becky's dad, and Becky's mom's here today too. It was very hard not to get distracted when you lose a loved one. But God is calling us in the midst of death, bad decisions, bad diagnoses over us. He says, don't lose focus on me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Keep coming. Keep coming. The next thing we need to do when we're afraid is we need to fight the doubt that comes in. Matthew 14, 31. Peter very easily could have turned around in the midst of him sinking, taking his eyes off Jesus, and jumped back in the boat. He could have very easily done that, I think. But he didn't give in to that temptation, and neither should we. We should not quit in our given situation. We don't give up. We need to fight that urge. And what, we, what was said in there on the next one is, is he reached out to Jesus. And that's what we need to do in the situation that we find ourselves in. When we're fearing, when we're scared, when we're terrified, reach out to Jesus. Because you know what? 
he will catch you right where you are. Having people around you that you can be real with is very, very important. Especially in the times that you find that you're fearful or you're struggling with something. This is where I get to plug home groups, core groups. This right here is awesome. But when you can break this down into a group of four people, ten people, and you can do life with somebody else like that, and you can be real with them, it, it, it does something very dynamic to us in our own spirit. I have a couple of uh, brothers in this room, Patrick and Ben, some people that in the midst of very, very tough times in my own life and my fears with my daughter, I remember one time Patrick Cavanaugh caught me outside, of, uh, outside the, after the service and we closed the doors in room number one and it was only the two of us. And he kind of did this, and he said, drop the gloves, let's go, be real. And some of the things that I uttered were not very flattering out loud. And I cried out to Patrick out loud and said, I'm scared, this sucks. And Patrick listened, and we, we went around a couple times, but it was so good in my spirit to let that go. And it's good for you, too, to have someone that you can go to. Ben, ben extended his hand to me this last week and said, I want to be there, too, for you. So when you're ready, open it up and let's go a couple rounds. Get it out. You'll feel better. It's very, very important that we understand that and that we have that accountability to someone that you can be real with. And they're not going to judge you. They're not going to think anything less of you for being that way. What's the last thing we need to do when we find ourselves scared? The last thing we need to do is we need to praise him. It tells us in that scripture that after all was said and done, that the disciples praised him and they worshiped him for who he was. I believe that if you and I could get to a place and we could follow this recipe here, our, our trust in God will grow. And, and, it, and if, if we do this time and time again, think about a recipe that you do. The more you make it, the more comfortable you get with it, and the better it becomes in the end, right? But if we can do the same pattern in our life, when we become scared and we go through those things like that, and we find ourselves in that situation, and we do those things, and it comes out on the other side, and we're like, that wasn't too bad. And the next time you go through it, that's not so bad. And you continue that. It doesn't mean you're not going to be scared. I fully understand that someone within the sound of my voice, you are dealing with this. There's a fear inside of you. Maybe it's the fear of a person, a prognosis that you've received, even personal situations. We're all dealing with something. But in closing, I want to say a couple things. I want you to understand this, that it's okay to have fear. I want you to give yourself enough ability to say, it's okay to have fear. Just be cautious that the fear doesn't become, make you become a slave. Don't be a slave to that fear. Don't let it envelop you to the point where you can't breathe. Fear is like those weeds in our garden. How many of your gardens look pretty nice right now? It's weed-free, new mulch. You got your new plants in there. 
but over time weeds are going to start creeping in right and if you don't weed it occasionally it will take over and if it takes over to a certain extent it will take over all the good things so I want to encourage you go out in your garden and weed it occasionally look inside of your heart and ask God to de-weed that fear that's in there probably going to spring up again at a later time keep picking at it allow God to be your gardener fear is one of the most debilitating emotions known to the human race it is unbelievably powerful but know this Jesus is more powerful than that fear Jesus demonstrated the sign of walking on the water for a reason he was proving that he is not subject to this world even though he was in this world he is not subject to this world Jesus is God and he is able to handle your fear trust him in that so when you're navigating the next couple of weeks months of life you're traveling down life's highway and you get to the edge of fearville you can wave at me as you go by but turn to the creator I'm gonna resign my post as the the mayor of fearville I'm gonna give it to somebody else and give it to where it belongs probably Satan I get tired and I know you guys do too and you struggle with this day in and day out turn to God allow him to bring that comfort over you and you might have to do that once twice 200 times but continue to do that remember this better yet know that he's in God he's God he's in control and no matter what you're going through today or tomorrow he is with you the Bible says this that amen I want to leave you with the lyrics to a Chris Tomlin song I think it's interesting that we finished our, our the music at the very beginning talking about our God and that song our God from Chris Tomlin has been a prayer to me in many circumstances in my life and the chorus just simply goes like this our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer he's awesome in power our God our God Heavenly Father thank you that we have the, the opportunity to turn to you in all things thank you for being our God and father today we entrust our fears and the things that that bring us father to that place and we lay these things at your feet and we say no more we can't handle these things on our own but Lord I know that you can so father if there's people today that are struggling with something that we've talked about today I pray Lord God that they would get to that place where they would understand that fear is a liar but you bring life you bring healing and we're thankful for that today as we go Lord May we be reminded of these things that we talked about this week. May we even take the, the notes that we took today and go through them a little bit more extensively in our own time, Lord God, to allow you to speak to us. 
Father, I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for a God that loves us despite our failures. Go with us today. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.